focusing on the gut can transform people's lives in such unbelievable ways. And you talked about the gut microbiome, which is something that every single day we're finding out something new about. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. What if healing your gut was as simple as adding in a diverse array of plant foods to your weekly diet and that adding in those gut loving foods wasn't really that hard to do? Now, last month, I released an episode on how I build metabolically healthy meals for my family to maintain steady blood sugar and energy levels. It was episode 383, and man, does it continue to get traction. If you haven't listened, definitely go check it out. Now, in this episode, I get into the nitty gritty of all the ways that you can build a metabolically healthy meal for yourself and your family that's going to boost your mitochondrial levels, your brain health, your cardiovascular health. And one of the biggest areas of this episode was the importance of the microbiome and how we can cultivate a more diverse microbiome. And in that, I shared a recent stat from the American Gut Project showing that people who ate more than 30 different types of plant foods per week had a healthier and more diverse microbiome than those who ate fewer than 10 per week. Now, we know a part of that conversation is really increasing your fiber intake from these plant foods and having a diverse array of fiber, which has incredible benefits. For one, fiber feeds the gut microbiome, which has beneficial effects on metabolic health, such as improved glucose and insulin levels thanks to short-chain fatty acids. Fiber also keeps gut inflammation down, protects the gut mucous membrane, and slows down glucose absorption. Fiber is so magical that it's considered half the solution to the obesity epidemic. So how do you know if you are getting enough fiber if you are, or if you're part of the 90% of us who are getting suboptimal levels, right? Majority of us are not getting enough fiber. The average amount that they say we should be getting is 30 grams. Dr. Megan Rossi, who is the expert today, and I agree that it should be 50. Now, when it comes to adding more fiber in, I recommend incorporating a diverse array of high fiber plant superfoods like chia seeds, flax seeds, flax crackers, basil seeds, canned or fresh beans, cooked lentils, along with fiber filled veggies and fruits like broccoli raspberries, avocados, squash, and peas. Now for me, I eat a ton of roasted veggies in this house. We eat a lot of salads and smoothies and we fill veggies at every single meal. We also ensure that we're adding flax seeds and chia seeds and basil seeds and beans and lentils to a lot of our different salads and meals. And then we add in the protein and the healthy fats. Now, because I think this is such an important conversation, I just don't think we're having enough of it. I invited the gut health doctor, Dr. Megan Rossi, to share how to further diversify our gut to help heal our body overall. Now she's got a new book and it's called How to Eat More Plants with 30 Diverse Plant Foods Per Week. So she agrees with the, the American Gut Project that 30 is the magic number per week. Now this is a fact-based book that's designed to help explain why a diverse diet is so key and it has a ton of recipes to help make sure that you know how to incorporate all of these 30 different types of plant foods per week into your diet. Now, as I shared in this episode, in episode 383, 30 really is that magic number and it's going to be easier than you think. And Dr. Megan makes it even easier. Now, before I bring her on, I want to quickly sing her praises. Megan Rossi is a PhD, and she's also known as the gut health doctor, one of the most influential gut health specialists and researchers internationally. She's a practicing dietitian, 
and nutritionist, as well as a leading research fellow at the King's College in London. She is the founder of the Gut Health Clinic, which she leads a team of gut specialist dietitians. So let's welcome Dr. Megan to the show. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Dr. Megan Rossi, how are you doing today, girl? Brilliantly, actually. Feeling really good. Oh, I love it. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is ways to optimize our gut health, but specifically to improve our mood, our hormones, our brain health, and most importantly, our metabolic health. I know a lot of people, when they think about metabolism, they don't think about how critical the gut plays a role there. And I know we're going to get into it. And what I'm really excited about is you know, what it, what it looks like to have a plant diversity type of diet that really allows us to have that support supportive gut health and that supportive metabolic health. Now you are known as the gut health doctor and I would love to know about like what was the impetus like what was the defining moment for you that you were like you know what the gut is where I'm going to spend my time and I am going to spread this information far and wide. Yeah look when I first got into gut health about 15 or so years ago it certainly wasn't much of a hot topic, but it was through a personal experience. I was in my final year studying nutrition and dietetics when I actually lost my grandma to bowel cancer. And I was really close to her. So I was quite angry at the gut actually for putting her through the chemo, the surgery, and obviously taking her life. But then I started working as a dietitian, both in the hospital setting with, you know, weight management, mental health issues, different cancers, kidney function, but also I was very fortunate to be the nutritionist for the Australian Olympic synchronized swimming team. And what I found so striking is that despite being coming from very different backgrounds, everyone was coming to me complaining of the gut. And I thought, gosh, what is it about this organ? It's stalking me. That was around 2010. So there wasn't a whole lot of gut health research really out there. And you know what? I thought to myself, I owe it to my grandma and to my patients and clients to find out more about this kind of you know, confused or misunderstood organ. So that's when I embarked on a PhD to really look at whether we target the gut through the right nutrition, whether that can improve the health of not just our gut, but systemic. So things like our mental health, our skin health, you know, our heart health, our metabolism. And it was really that PhD that changed everything. That was really the turning point. I was like, oh my God, like I don't hate the gut at all. It's just completely misunderstood. And um, yeah, 2015, moved over to the UK to continue my research at King's College in London where I work as a research fellow. But I think it was just the misinformation, you know, that it just wasn't getting out to the public that led me to get into social media. I certainly didn't, you know, do it personally. I just thought, look, if I can help translate some of that science, you know, I'll be doing more of a service than I was just kind of hiding away in my research ivory tower. So I set up the Gut Health Doctor and 
was really great timing in terms of, you know, people were really looking for a credible voice in that space and, and really came to Gut Health Doctor for that. And yeah, it's, I've not looked back since it's, it's such an exciting area to see on the lab side of things, the the cutting edge research, and then getting to be able to translate that to the everyday person. It, yeah, it's a dream come true. Hmm. Oh, I love it. And I'm so glad that you just kind of listened to that inner instinct in your in that inner wisdom that was like, there is something here. I know that it's connecting the dots to so many of the diseases that we're dealing with today. And I think, you know, definitely my listeners who are they're such wise women, they definitely know the guts involved. The, you know, girl, they got the memo that the yeah. gut is involved if they're struggling. And they also know that if they're not even just dealing with gut-related or gut-specific symptoms, that if they're dealing with brain fog or lagging energy or skin issues, that it's probably the gut alongside with the liver. You know, those two, they, I, in tandem, they are working so dang hard all the time. So my ladies definitely know And, you know, I think we're beginning to understand more and more and more that the gut isn't just having a profound impact on what's happening inflammatory wise in the body, but also what is driving our energy levels. And I always talk about our energy being the ultimate currency in our health because we all want it. We all, if even if we got it, we want more of it. And it all starts with what we put in our bodies, the substrates that we put in our bodies and how our gut assimilates that. And then what those little bacteria, the trillions of bacteria in the microbiome are doing to also assimilate that. And so I would love to start talking about some of the most fascinating research that you've come across, but most importantly around metabolic health, because I know so many of my women want that energy. They want to feel like the brain's working really well for them. They want to feel like they don't have to to miss a step. And you and I both know that that starts in the gut. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've seen firsthand in clinical practice because I also have a clinic and focusing on the gut can transform people's lives in such unbelievable ways. And you talked about the gut microbiome, which is something that every single day we're finding out something new about. So yes, there is the main component, which is the bacteria, but we have the virus component called the virome. We have the fungal component called the mycobiome. And we even have parasites, which actually synergistically work all together to have far-reaching benefits. To date, most of the research has been done on the the bacterial component. But like I said, all of those other elements are working in tangent. We're starting to really get to the bottom of how these microorganisms are dictating things like, for example, our estrogen levels. And I find it so fascinating and certainly something that I observed in clinic for so for so many years that people who had hormonal issues, whether it's things like polycystic ovary syndrome or infertility or people going through the menopause or endometriosis, all of them seem to have you know, gut issues on top of that. But it wasn't until I guess we we saw this remarkable research coming out that our gut microbiome actually does regulate the estrogen levels in our body. So our bacteria particularly have a type of enzyme which recycles each estrogen back into our body. And we see people uh, with estrogen imbalances seem to be missing certain types of beneficial microbes. And I think, you know, it's this research that explains why, you know, one of these studies found that females going through the menopause, if they ate, added more plants to their diet, they reduced their risk of hot flushes by around 17%. And I think it's important because one of the things I love so much is yes, that hard science. I mean, I'm a scientist after all, but that important translation element, right? So when we talk about plants, 
plants. I'm not just talking about fruit and veg. There is actually six different types of plant-based food groups. And in the new book, How to Eat More Plants, I talk about the super sex. Um, so what I recommend is people think in their own diets, okay, what have I had something from each of the super sex today? If not, okay, well, tonight maybe I need to add in, you know, uh, one of the types of seeds to tick off that box. So the super six is your whole grains, your nuts and seeds, your fruit, your veg, your legumes, and your herbs and your spices. And each different category provides our gut microbiome with different types of fertilizers, so to speak. And that certainly why we're starting to see, you know, these clinical trials that show that people go on the paleo keto diet where they cut out one of these super six actually seem to be missing some key gut bacteria. And really it tends to narrow down some of the skill set of their microbiome. And, you know, it kind of plays out what I've seen in clinic. People who do typically go in a restrictive way of eating. Yes, in the short term, they may lose a little bit of weight just because they're narrowing down their diet. But actually what happens in the long term is that is thought to damage their microbiome. And that probably explains the rebound effect that most people get within a year of going on a restrictive diet where they not only regain the weight they lost, but extra. Because we know that our gut microbiome is so integral to our metabolism. And you know, one of the key mechanisms is that the backbone of plants, I think uh, your listeners probably very aware of the word dietary fiber. And the magical thing about dietary fiber is we know that people eat more fiber uh, healthier. We never really understood why. So certainly in university back 15 or so years ago, we got taught about fiber, but not really the mechanisms. Until now, we now appreciate human cells can't actually digest that dietary fiber. It travels through most of our digestive tract undigested until it reaches that last one point five meters called the large intestine, where we literally have those trillions of microorganisms. And they're the unique ones with the enzymes to break down the fiber, produce these chemicals called short chain fatty acids. And these chemicals are the ones that do things like regulate our appetite hormones like ghrelin and leptin. So it's incredibly fascinating how important our microbiome is to our metabolism, our food cravings and things like that. Hmm. I want to dissect a little bit of this or a lot of bit of this because it's, yeah, when we start to go on a restrictive diet, whether it's keto or it's intermittent fasting or it's paleo, and so many people are concerned about a carbohydrate intake today, many of which because a lot of people are dealing with insulin resistance and, you know, and prediabetes, 133 plus million here in our country. So yeah, it's super scary. And so I know that one of the first things that people start to do is definitely get rid of the two of those super, super six, which is the grains and the legumes. Like I think about those are the two that are like, okay, how do I back off off the carbs? But the argument here is that as we back those off, we're not giving the bacteria that eats those, they're not getting fed anymore. They don't continue to, to replenish. They don't continue to thrive. And that has a profound impact on our metabolic hormones like leptin and ghrelin. And so what, what do we do? Let's say we have a situation where we have someone who in her 40s, got estrogen dominance, right? Getting the hot flashes. She's not processing estrogen well, even if she's packaging it appropriately and, and methylating it and making it water soluble, getting into the gut. In the gut, it falls apart. It breaks down. It doesn't make it through and it gets recirculated as an, as an oxidative component, a metabolite. At the same time, 
she's struggling with insulin resistance, right? She's got a hemoglobin A1C of 5.6, 5.7. She's right there, pre-diabetic. Her doctors aren't really talking about it, but like it's on her radar. So she starts cutting and cutting, right? She's like, I got to get this under control. And maybe she steps up her cruciferous vegetables. She maybe brings in some broccoli sprouts, but you know, she probably isn't hitting the fiber intake that she needs. And I'd love to know what your, I would love to hear what your recommended amount of fiber intake per day is. I have a magic number in my mind that I share a lot, but I'm really curious. And, you know, and, and she's super freaked out, but trying to do the best that she can to address one of these, the, one of the biggest critical inflammatory markers, which is this A1C score. What do, what do we do in that scenario? I, I'm of the mindset of we've got to ensure that we're getting that massive diversity of fiber, vegetables, fruits, flaxseed, chia seeds, all the things to ensure that we're supporting the microbiome ferments. Um, but then also ensuring that we aren't toppling over too far, that we're constantly creating blood sugar deregulation. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think that's the it's a really important area to discuss in terms of what we talk about in the types of carbohydrates, the types of whole grains. And I think there is a world of difference from brown bread, which in my mind is quite ultra processed. Yes. Uh, if you look at it, it doesn't look like it's come from something in the ground. You know, it's all perfectly shaped and everything. Even if it's brown, it still is not what we're seeing, you know, than the natural kernel. So, you know, one of the areas I talk about in the book is meeting um, different grains and meeting different legumes. And I think this point about diversifying the types of grains and types of legumes is incredibly important because there are so many amazing flavors, but also health benefits attached to things like frika, quinoa, buckwheat, barley, black rice, wheat berries, which I think a lot of people are like, oh, firstly, not cooked with it. Don't know how to cook with it. Sounds expensive. Is it really healthy for me? Those sorts of things come to mind. So what I, I've done with that section of the book is try to break down some of the barriers. So highlight that all of these are readily available in your mainstream supermarkets. You just need to look at the aisles a little bit more clearly. It might only just be one brand that's got them. But also then I talk about what are some really easy recipes you can switch them in for. So for example, with like a risotto, switch in, instead of having the, the rice, which is definitely going to spike your blood sugars, switch it in for whole barley. Not only does it make it that little bit nuttier, but it's much higher in fiber, which will therefore prevent that blood sugar spike as high uh, that will occur with things like more of these your more accessible Processed. carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then, you know, I talk about things like obviously how to cook with them, the flavor profile and a little fun nutrient fact, which gets people a little bit more intrigued and go, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe I'll try that. And if you just think about, you know, trying one of these a week as your goal, then you start to to build a little bit more comfort with these different types of grains, as well as legumes, you know, for example, like butter beans and black beans, they are so full of these prebiotics, which feed the gut bacteria, again, helping with the appetite regulation. And they're so accessible. They're so inexpensive. It's just about finding ways, you know, to sneak them into, into your diet. And particularly females often, you know, we are talk, cooking for families, right? And we want to make sure that we don't have to, you know, have something for us, but then have something for family because they're really fussy and won't want to have beans. So one of the my favorite recipes is uh, my spinach and ricotta stuffed pasta shells. And what I've done, because I'm from an Italian background, instead of having it being mostly cheese in the spinach and ricotta, I've taken out half the cheese and added a can of mixed beans in, as well as frozen peas. So really accessible ingredients. And it 
actually is so incredible how creamy and delicious that then filling is. And I do it with my family all the time. They didn't even notice uh, the switches, but it, you know, is going to be not only cheaper as a recipe, but going to nourish our, our guts in some really incredible ways and therefore helping things like with that appetite that, you know, the estrogen levels and all those sorts of things. So it's that practical translation of how to add these foods into your diet uh, and and thinking about, yeah, the process level. Mm, I so appreciate that. Okay. That gives me a lot more, it gives us a lot more food for thought of like how we can do this, you know, and still ensure that we're maintaining that blood sugar level. We're not getting on the blood sugar roller coaster. We're not spiking and feeling out of control. I mean, I know that's fiber. When I think about fiber and the role it plays in healing our bodies and healing our gut, it is way up there. And I, I honestly think fiber is over 50% of the insulin issue too. If we could just consume more fiber, we would change the game. And what I, so what is your magical number? What is your, what, how many, we, we're in grams here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So same with us. Um, but the thing about five, which I think is important that we yeah. really highlight is that we talk about like, it's just one thing, but actually there's close to a hundred different types of fiber. Cause in clinic, a lot of people say to me, I get fiber is important. Don't worry. I've got it covered, Megan. I'm taking a fiber supplement. And I'm like, right. oh, if only, yeah. like, honestly, I wish. powder in my smoothie yeah. every day. <laughs> But each different fiber feeds a different category of, of our gut bacteria and does different things. So unfortunately, in this case, just taking, you know, a refined fiber is not going to fill that fiber gap and get these health benefits that we also dearly want. So my <laughs> my magic number yes. in the UK here, the government says 30 grams. My magic number is 50 grams. Whoop, whoop. Um, we are li- right here. Same, same with me. 50 grams. 50. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Is that, is that based? Maybe it's the same of a clinical trial called the SMILES trial. It's fascinating. It was like the first time we really saw that adding this diverse range of plants, the fibers, the super six into our diet. And again, not plants only, which I probably, we should touch on, yes. um, can really have a measurable impact in people's mental health. And this, this study I talk about in the book, or you can Google the SMILES trial, it actually showed 32% reduction in people's depression scores. So after just 12 weeks, and that 32, 32% reduction were was clinical resolution of their depression. It wasn't just like a slight decrease. They were classified as no longer clinically depressed after that 12-week dietary fiber intervention. They started with moderate severe depression. So not to say that, you know, the fiber is going to cure everyone's depression, but that study is a landmark study to show that diet can have incredible impacts on, on these mental health conditions that, you know, are so prevalent are so prevalent. Well, and so prevalent because there are root cause issues that are playing a major role here. One of them is uh, the health of our gut. And when we have nations consuming an insane amount of processed foods and processed sugar all the time, and we're feeding the wrong bugs and we're killing off the right ones, it's no wonder that we are struggling with with anxiety and depression and mood swings, menstrual issues. I mean, it to me, it just makes so much sense. You know, I always think about what my future brain, what my future gut, what my future hormones, and even my my precious diva mitochondria. 
You know, they're, <laughs> they're so sensitive to what we eat. And so I always think like every time I look at my plate or every time I'm at the grocery store, and I, I want to talk a little bit about the diversity of plants and how we can really create that diversity on our plate every single day. And what you're, I love our magic number is 50 grams, but I, want, I would love to know your magic number for the amount of diversity of plants that we should be aiming for every single week. And, and in the super six that you talk about, um, that it's not just fruits and vegetables. Like people are just like, oh. God, how do I get all these vegetables in? Everything that we do, we're shopping, we're eating with our fork, we're making food for our plate. Like that is going to become your future something. And, um, And it all has to be assimilated into the gut first before it goes anywhere else, before it goes into the bloodstream, before it hits the mitochondria. Before it goes to your cells to become ribosomes, you know, whatever it may be, it's got to go to the gut first. And so I, I, I'm so glad we're having this conversation, and, and especially when it comes to mental health. Like we've got to be able to put together and see the connection between what we're eating and how we are feeling. Yeah, amen to that. I mean... I don't think, well, certainly when I was studying dietetics, um, you know, we don't, we weren't taught that we were like, that may have a bit of a role, but, you know, let's not overstep, you know, our guidelines or our boundaries. But now, you know, thanks to the evolution of, of science and technology, allowing us to scope out what the bacteria are and what they're doing and, and the other microorganisms, I can now confidently say as an evidence-based clinician that this, you know, it this will matters. change your life. Yeah, absolutely. I know I want to get into the nitty gritty because I think that's the, you know, the problem that comes up. And I know you see this all the time in social and the people that connect with you is I love the number. I love that I'm supposed to be eating this diverse group of food, but how do I freaking do it? Do you yeah. know that I'm a mom of five kids and I got a husband I'm taking care of? And oh, by the way, I run my own business, you know? And so like you think about all the things that come up and I think personally, it's a non-negotiable. You have, you, you just have to, like, it's got to become the thing that you do for your family, for yourself, for your partner. But I know, but people are thinking like, how do I be, how do I start I buy the same basic vegetables and fruits every single time I go to the store. It's all the same thing because I know it. It's easy. How do we, how do you get people to step out of the comfort zone and add more diversity? Yeah, look, I I get it. You know, our lives are very busy and I do not expect, and you do not need to slave away in the kitchen or in the shops for hours to have good gut health. That's just a complete myth. You don't need to, to go there. What you need to do when you step in the grocery store, think diversity. So don't just get the pumpkin seeds, get the three seed mix. Don't just get the chickpeas, get the four bean mix as long as they're in water. Don't just get the broccoli, get the stir fry mix of veg. Don't just get the blackberries, get the frozen pack of four different types of berries. Because each different species of plant literally does contain its own profile of some really amazing uh, plant chemicals. For example, an apple contains over 300 different phytochemicals, plant chemicals, including things like incitol, which we know is really beneficial for polycystic ovary syndrome. It's got dopamine in it, the feel-good hormone. Uh, It's even got a million bacteria on the surface of it. So that's just a humble apple. And if you extrapolate that out to all of the other plants available to us, you start to appreciate that each different one is quite unique in its own right. So I would say that's the the number one thing I would get. If someone's like, oh, okay, I want to start doing this. What should I do? Next grocery shop, just think diversity. Grab all that, all those 
you know, mixed packs of things, no extra cross or effort. And then from there, if you're feeling quite confident with that, it might be a case of literally writing down. And in the book, I've got a template of the super six and how many you've had uh, across the week. Mm. And it's really helpful to see, actually, I'm getting most of my 30 plant-based points a week. I give each plant a each plant gets its own point, except for herbs and spices. They only get a quarter of a point because the portions are usually quite small. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. I, you know, I always thought, and you know, I then this is just my, you know, extrapolating what I, what I was making up in my head, but I always thought that herbs packed a really big antioxidant punch. Um, we use a lot of fresh herbs in our house. We go through an insane amount of, of cilantro and basil and mint, tarragon. I mean, we're, we're rosemary. We're just, we just consume an exorbitant amount of fresh herbs. But I always, I always thought that they were bringing a little oomph to the table, but um, maybe not oh, in terms are. of, okay. They, oh, they certainly are in terms of those, those phytochemicals and the okay. polyphenols, okay. which yeah. nourish the gut bacteria. It's just in the, in the sheer portion. So in terms mm. of like the fiber component and everything. So when I've come up with this plant point system, I've just made the executive decision that they get a quarter of a point and let's just roll with that. But you know, Sounds you get good. the mixed Sounds herbs good. and spices and you get like, you know, a whole point there. So yeah, it, you know, it really helps to jot down and you might see, actually, you know what? I'm really not having any seeds in my weekly diet or I'm not having any nuts. Now I think it's really important that we touch on the calorie myth because I know a lot of your li- listeners are focused on, on weight management and they're probably like, as if I would have nuts and seeds, they are so high in calories. But mm. guys, this is a thing. Calorie information is not as accurate as we've been led to believe, particularly for whole foods. So for example, almonds actually provide our bodies with 30% less calories than what the packet says. And that's just the way um, that our digestive system is a very different way we work out calories in the labs, where we break all the calories down. Whereas, you know, in our digestive system, we actually don't extract all of that energy. Now, the other thing we need to think about is this word called the thermogenic effect of food, which again, calories don't, you know, take into account. And a really no. great study looked at this, what they actually did is they got a very highly processed piece of cheese and bread versus a more whole grain sourdough bread and more like quality cheddar. And they matched them for calories according to the packet. But when they gave them to participants, so their first lot of participants got the ultra processed version and they measured how much calories were burnt, i.e. the thermogenic effect during that process of digestion. And then they came back a week later and they had the other sandwich and they measured the amount of calories that were burnt. And now in the less, the ultra processed version of that sandwich actually burnt 50% less calories than the more wholesome version. Um, So again, it just highlights that calories aren't as simple as what the packet says because our body actually, you know, does digest and and burn energy in that process. And the more processing these foods have already, you know, had done to them means the more less processing our body needs to do, which means the less calories we actually burn. And then the, the other element about calories is it doesn't take into account, you know, its impact on a gut microbiome as well as the satiety impact. So we know that things like, you know, a Kit Kat and banana, okay, same calories, but the Kit Kat, although it'll help with that, that short-term sweet fix, your sugars are going to fly up. Whereas a banana, it's got the prebiotics from the fibers. It's got the potassium in there. It's even got serotonin in there as well. Um, So, so many other facets that you don't really realize that are really important for that weight management. 
Mm, I love that. Yeah, I would like to believe that my community is very much a molecules matter community versus a calories matter community. I love that research. I know there's a lot of other research out there that really demonstrates the difference between, you know, the calories and molecules um, and how that shows up. And I just love that study of, you know, I, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about as, as less process as better. You know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine. We do consume a little bit of cauliflower rice. And my my son in particular eats a little bit of it. He's a toddler. And it, real rice actually makes him a little bit constipated, but he loves rice. And so we, we, we moved to cauliflower rice for him. But even cauliflower rice, it's a processed version of cauliflower. In terms of the fiber content that you're going to get, you're going to get some, but it is not the same as if you were to roast cauliflower, which is a favorite of ours as well. And so just even taking those into consideration, it is a better swap than regular white rice. If you've got insulin resistance and white rice is going to spike you because white rice spikes the heck out of me. I'm mm. not going to pretend like it doesn't. It is a great, better option. But what I'd always recommend is like buy the cauliflower, chop it up, roast it up. And that's the better option for you in terms of the least processed, your gut bacteria, your gut microbiome is going to appreciate the real cauliflower versus the more processed big big Costco bag of cauliflower rice that you can get. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I mean, the same thing is with oats. So some of my colleagues from King's actually did a really great study where they compared like instant oats, ground oats versus whole big oats. And what they found, as you'd expect, the instant oats spike blood sugars way more uh, than the whole oats. So that's, you know, again, a very simple buy. Yes, it takes an extra five minutes to cook, uh, the larger size ones, but it's going to be much better for you because it's been less tampered with. Yeah, you you haven't pulverized the fiber source that as you had with the instant oats. Same thing, we're just pulverizing the fiber source with the cauliflower rice. It's just not the same. The fiber is not as intact as it was. Great example of that is a whole strawberry. And I love frozen fruit too, but you can tell when fruit's been frozen and when it defrosts, it just, just shrinks to nothing. And, and, and not to say that I'm not a big fan of people using frozen fruit and frozen, and frozen anything, especially if it's easy. And I love the diversity, but something to think about using that whole fruit source, if you can too. Do you recommend, you know, we're in the summer season, you and I, as we're recording this, and it is summer amazingness. Peaches are still in season. Plums are still in season. Cherries are almost out of season. Strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. So my fridge has everything I just mentioned in it right now. All of the berries. All We even have, we have figs in the fridge right now. I think we have like 12 different types of fruit just alone in the, in the refrigerator. I love my son. I like for him to eat within the season. I eat a massive diversity of different flavors. As a mama who cares a lot about his microbiome and his and his little gut, I'm really adamant on adding as many different diverse diverse foods as I can to his diet. Um, do you recommend that we focus on seasonal if we can? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do know that not only is it much cheaper, but typically it's going to be a more nutrient dense as well. So I'm a big fan of you know buying in season if you have to buy in bulk, freezing it. And you can, you know, whip some out in a smoothie, you know, in winter when you are missing those delicious flavors. Um, but I mean, what I would say is that typically in summer, people 
go straight for the fruit, which is brilliant. But let's not forget about the other five of those super sex. Yes. We want to make sure we get that diversity. And I think sometimes that message is lost in the, oh, look, I'm eating all like loads and loads of plants, but actually they're not getting something from the super sex and therefore forgetting some of your key gut bacteria's loves. Well, I think with the super six too, is that a lot of the, the, a lot of this is bulk. We can, we can save a lot of this too. I don't know if fruits are its own category in the super six, but that we can still hit them, you know, cause not all of the super six is, is seasonal, like, yeah. <laughs> which is actually a win. Yeah, for us. absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. I'm thinking about like, I know that in the book and you've got, I've seen the book behind you, there is recipes outside of even just strategies for how to incorporate more of the super six into, into our diets. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, um, I wrote the book when I was pregnant. So I was doing so much, you know, testing of the different foods and made sure that all of them were super convenient. I know that even whether you're a mum or not a mum, you know, we've got busy lives. So most of the meals, you know, can be done quite quickly. One of my favorites is the um, stir fry adventures where it's a stir fry for every night of the week in 10 minutes. You know, you choose your protein, whether you want something like oily fish, which we know is really beneficial for our gut microbiome as well. So I think that's probably an important myth uh, that I want to bust that I hear all the time is that to have good gut health, you have to go vegan, 100% plant-based, not the case. Completely respect and understand why people want to go 100% plant-based in terms of animal cruelty, religious reasons, all those sorts of things. But for human health, the science suggests that actually including things like your oily fish actually is going to you know add to your life um, and, and your health. Uh, yeah, so you can choose the type of... Um, yeah, the protein you have, whether it's the oily fish or something like one of the beans, the legumes, then you choose your your carbs, your grains. And again, I go for the really grainy options versus having things like, you know, brown pasta. Again, that's really quite processed. If you, you know, that's a, if that's a step up from you because you're currently having white pasta, great. But what I'm saying is that if you're, you know, cutting carbs out, I would say, yeah, I wouldn't add pasta into your diet just to get a super six point because it's ultra processed. I would say add in something like, you know, Frika, for example, which has got the most nuttiest and really high fiber as well. Then you add a, a mixed uh, pack of stir fry veg, hit that there. And then the last one is just all of these different types of flavoring. So it takes five minutes to make an Indian base, an Italian base, a Thai base, uh, a Vietnamese base and Chinese as well. Uh, and just getting all those different flavors. So you feel like you're getting in like a diverse range of flavors, but literally each meal only takes 10 minutes. So those sorts of things, I think, is what I've gotten really great feedback from because people don't have hours to slave away, you know, in the, in the kitchen. Although I do have, you know, some recipes of making uh, your own wheat and bread. Um, we have actually grating carrot to it um, to reduce down that blood sugar spike as well. So adding that extra fiber and also some zucchini in there. Um, and then you don't need yeast as well because I use some live yogurt to make it rise and all that sort of stuff. So plenty of fun recipes. Nice, nice. It was so interesting. I was thinking about stir fries and how simple they would be to like incorporate the the diversity of plants that you wanted to make happen. I was thinking stir fries, salads, uh, soups, one pan roasted types of experiences, and you also other things to add to the to the super six as well. But yeah, I mean there are there's simple simple ways that you can knock out a lot of this, hit all your super six, make sure that you're feeding your gut, and make it super easy for yourself. And you don't necessarily need to know. That's what I love about specifically about vegetables or, or plant based diversity is that a lot of it goes well together. Yeah. You know it. You really can't mess it up. 
I love that. Yeah, yeah. I've got recipes where I've just got like switch whatever, you know, food you've got left over, like the fridge raid sort of thing. So you don't need, if you don't have any courgette, you don't need to freak out, literally use any plant. It it seems to any veg, it works in there. Um, You know, the same with the fruit. If you don't have figs, any of your your fruit typically work in these recipes. They're so adaptable. What I would uh, highlight, and I don't know if you've heard much from your community about gut symptoms, that being a limitation of of eating more plants, because I think a lot of us, and I'm sure you can be very aware, yes, plants are beneficial. Um, but there's two barriers that I hear. One is, you know, I don't really like the flavor of them. And, and the good thing is actually you train your, your oral microbiome to like the flavor. After four weeks of sneaking in veg, you know, it's a lot of the smoothies in the book, I've got like frozen cauliflower in and doing things like that. I did it on my husband when I first met him because he was a big meathead. Doing stuff like that actually changes your oral microbiome and therefore your food cravings. We've got science to back that up. So you can get over the flavor thing. Firstly, you sneak it in. Um, and also anything can taste bad if you don't prep it right. Like a steak can taste horrible if you over fry it. So it's about working with the right flavors. The other element uh, is, is the gut symptoms that I hear where people are like, I want to eat plants, but I get bloated or it messes up, you know, my, my pooping habits and stuff like that. And I hear you, I get it. You know, that's my main area of, of specialty is, is gut symptoms. Um, so what I've done in the book is actually have a sensitive gut a menu plan and a protocol where I help you teach your body to be able to deal with them. For a short period of time, we restrict down some of these really fermentable types of fibers, which are beneficial for people who've got resilient guts. But if you've got a sensitive gut, it can cause a little bit of extra bloating. And for some people with things like IBS, it can cause cramps and stuff. So we definitely get you there in terms of adding them in, but we just add them quite slowly and, and prep your gut and, and your gut over time learns how to be able to metabolize and more efficiently release some of the gas. Because when our bacteria eats fiber, naturally it produces gas. It's completely fine. It's inert. It produces beneficial chemicals along with a little bit of gas. Now, if you've got a really healthy gut, non-stressed gut, what happens is most of that gas actually gets absorbed through your gut lining into your blood and you breathe it out. That's how breath tests work. Um, But if you've got a stressed gut, and this is what we see all the time with things like functional gut disorders and irritable bowel syndrome, is your gut lining won't be penetrable to that gas. So in turn, it gets stuck in your digestive system, causing things like bloating, the cramping, et cetera. So we need to work on the two things, slowly reintroduce and also help to relax that gut-brain axis. Mm. I so appreciate that because yeah, I bet some people are listening and thinking like, I can't do the broccoli. I can't do the, the really, really tough, you know, buckwheat, those types of things because my gut isn't going to tolerate it. And it, it's about healing. Obviously it's about healing the gut, you know, and, and in order to eventually get there. So I'm glad that you addressed that too, because I know that's what you're doing in clinical practice. People are coming to you and they're dealing with gut issues and ancillary issues related to it um, and trying to get to the other side of that. So I'm so grateful that you do cover that in the book to kind of overcome a big hurdle for millions and millions and millions of people. You know, I rarely meet someone who has a really healthy gut unless they've been really working on it consciously. So I, I'm grateful that you do address that so that we, we do create the metabolic health, the mood health, the brain health. We reduce the inflammation. We increase longevity, which is the name of the game. Dr. Megan, honey, oh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your new book. What we're going to be doing now, um, the book is called, real quick, when you remind me, it's How to Eat More Plants, right? 
Absolutely. Okay. And it's going to be, I'm going to have the link in Amazon. Where else can we go and check you out besides going and buying this book? Uh, at the gut health doctor on across all social media and the website is the gut health doctor.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you for spending your evening with me. I've watched dusk happen behind the scenes because I know you are in Europe. And so I just want to say thank you for, for sharing your wisdom and continuing to do the work that you're doing in the world. It's an absolute pleasure. I mean, it's my passion point. So I could speak all, all day and all night about gut health. I love it. Thank you. So my biggest takeaway from Dr. Megan's recommendations today is how to boost that diversity while going grocery shopping. Now, my whole thing was buy as many fruits and vegetables and seeds and nuts as possible. But what she shared was such an awesome hack. And that is to buy foods that are a mixture of plant foods, such as a veggie medley or a mixture of lentils or a mixture of legumes and seeds and nuts and or frozen fruit medley. What I love about that is that it takes a lot of pressure off having to buy so many different items where you could really just stock and say, okay, I'm going to buy this bean medley or I'm going to buy this nut medley or this frozen you know, vegetable medley. That way we can stack onto our salads or our stir fries or whatever it may be with a lot more ease and grace without having to really figure out what to do with these foods. So I'm definitely going to be looking for new ways that I can knock out eating more diverse plants by simply looking for these mixtures in the grocery store. And if you are loving the idea of supporting your gut with more ease and grace and creating more metabolically healthy meals, definitely check out Dr. Megan's new book, How to Eat More Plants with 30 Diverse Plant Foods Per Week. Now, I'm going to have the link of her book in the show notes for you to grab today. And I really hope you go and get it because I think this is something that will have profound benefits for your overall health and longevity. As always, thank you so much for listening in on the Essentially You podcast. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. Now, if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this today, take a moment, screenshot the episode, text it on over to them or share it on social media, share it on Insta. That way you continue to spread the word about hormone literacy. And if you do share it on Instagram, please, 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 hashtag hormone CEO. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.